0: welcome back to the silver and black Pridecast. thanks again for listening as always this is levi damien and i'm joined by tyler smith aka raider Domus. and we're going to talk about well we're going to talk a little bit about the, about the draft we're going to talk a bit about what's happened since the draft and uh, there's plenty to talk about that's for sure and our last podcast we put out right after the first round i think it was actually the day of the second round so We've covered all the first-round picks in detail, but some information has come out since then that kind of adds a little bit of perspective to the uh, the Raiders' process in the in their draft picks for for most of them, um, as it were. That would be the uh, the Peter King article. Who uh, I saw him at the facility that day, so he was definitely there. Um, so he definitely had a hand look at how things. Um, how things went. I'm not sure how much access he had. I'm not sure specifically if he was literally sitting in the draft war room with the team or anything like that, but he certainly was around to get a feel for things. Um, Tyler, I take it you read that report and what did you, uh, what were the interesting things you took from it?
1: It was a fascinating read. It really was. Um, I've always liked King as a writer. He can certainly spin a story and tell a tale, uh, it's a it 's an interesting look into the draft room uh, of a football team, and any look into the draft room of a football team during the draft itself is always pretty fascinating, but this one in particular because it was my mike Mayock's 's first turn as a gm in the in a, a draft room with John Gruden who can be a little bit on the excitable side and and uh, Gruden was described on a number of occasions in the article as a golden retriever wanting desperately to call the people that he was he was uh just going to pick um, so he he's Pina is a very excitable character, which we know from his coaching uh, coaching experience that he is. Um, but the interesting thing about the article was that the Raiders really wanted to trade down from pick number four and were unable to do so because nobody called them. The phone did not ring whatsoever. And I could have told you that because the Giants took Daniel Jones at pick six. And if anybody was wanting to trade up into the top ten, the Giants most likely would not have done that. So I'm not surprised that after Quinny Williams went off the board at three – that nobody really wanted to trade up. In fact, there was only one team that did trade in the top 10, and that was the Steelers trading with the Broncos to get Devin Bush. Um, so the whole thing was just really, really interesting about how Mayock goes about his business. And it just sort of seems like like he's a grown-up, like he knows what he's doing, and he and John Gruden seem to work really well together. Um, they didn't trade at all on day one, but they certainly did on day two and three. Uh, and just just to look at how they work together and how they how they made all those things happen is pretty fascinating to me.
0: That is, it was easy to see the uh, the narrative that was being. And I, when I say narrative, I don't mean it necessarily the way a lot of fans do. Whenever they use the word narrative, they're they're almost always suggesting that there's some some spin to the to the point of just flat out lying as to what happened. But there definitely was the narrative being that. Mike Mack was the adult in the room and, and uh, John Gruden was the giddy, you know, kid with stars in his eyes, you know, clapping his hands saying, can we call, can we count, can we call, can we trade, can we trade? And I, I'm a little bit skeptical that it was to that extreme. I think there's, one uh, for, for one thing, that is a, is a nice picture to paint because it makes all the draft picks say, wow, John Gruden really wanted me so bad that he couldn't contain himself. And it also makes Mike Mayock look really good for obvious reasons, because he's the one like, okay, let's calm down. Let's think of this reasonably. The player we want is going to be there when we pick. So let's uh, let's wait. And I think there was some, certainly some truth to all that, but I think it might have been uh, going to a, a little bit of an extreme just because of the way that it uh, is kind of the information that you want out there for the most part. And you you start with the Cleveland Farrell pick and how they wanted to trade down. And I firmly believed in this was in my, um, my one and only mock draft, my two round mock draft with trades. I had them sitting there with Quinn and Williams on the board and trading down to nine with the Buffalo bills who jumped up to get him? And I firmly believe that would have happened had Quinn and Williams been on the board, um, because he was the one prize that I think teams would have wanted to trade up to get. I, they weren't trading up to quarterbacks. I mean, you you talked about that uh, about how uh, the the quarterbacks just weren't in demand in this draft the way they had in previous years. But Quinn and Williams was seen by many as the best player in this draft. And I, I think the, and I, and there were reports leading up to the draft that the Bills were actively talking with the Jets about moving up. And I think that was their target. I think it was to get Quinn Williams. And I think the reason the Jets said no is because they wanted him. And they knew that if they traded out, that's who the Bills were coming up to get. But, and once he was gone, it was radio silence. Everybody was like, "Well, oh, the guy that we want is going to be there. I mean, Josh Allen fell to seventh overall. So That a lot of people got everything they wanted, and he didn't make sense for the Raiders schematically. So they quote unquote reached for Cleveland Farrell, the guy they the guy they wanted, Uh, and some could say, and maybe they should have gone with Ed Oliver or somebody like that. uh, It's it's a double edged sword, really. You you got in in one regard, you 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 shouldn't reach, but in another regard, how far are you reaching? and and you'd like him to trade down but if there's just if that's not available you can't do it and and that's uh that's what the report was saying is that there just wasn't the available that that wasn't available and then you move down to the second pick and you talked about it as well that Mike Mayock was supposed to be the adult in the room saying no let's wait and and Gruden was with every pick, was like uh, worried that they were going to take Josh Jacobs. Uh, that this is where I think it kind of strays a little bit to the extreme of what really went on. I do believe that that Gruden was worried that when the when the uh, Eagles traded up initially, he was worried that um, the Eagles were trading up to get Jacobs, and that but that subsided cr- real quick when they realized that they weren't trading up right ahead of the Raiders. They were trading up ahead of the Texans so that they could get the tackle that they wanted. And what that says to me, honestly, is that Jacobs would have been there at 27. I mean, that's what it says to me. And I mean, do you, do you believe that, do you believe that he would have been there at 27? And I, I, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I think it's entirely possible. Um, I'm not sure if, the Ravens would have taken him. I I, I couldn't say. It. They certainly um, they certainly don't have a needed running back with the signing of Mark Ingram. Um, and then the the Redskins traded up to twenty six to take Montez Sweat. And I I doubt with the young uh, running backs they have on their roster they would have they would have uh, done that for Jacobs either. So I think it's entirely possible that he was there at twenty seven. Um, but I think if if they targeted a guy that they wanted and they targeted a, a draft slot that they were uh, comfortable with. I don't see the downside to, to taking them early. I mean, if, if Abrams and and Jacobs are the two guys they wanted, what's the difference between taking one at twenty seven and one at twenty well, four? Well, you get the same two players.
0: The difference is this. The difference is that you. you it's about playing how the draft. Falls out, or playing like being one track mind, tunnel vision. These are the guys we want. And we're going to do anything we can to get them. Um, you know, everything else be damned. Because when you get to 24th overall and you see Montez Sweat on the board when I don't think there was anybody who expected him to be and this heart condition thing turned out to be bunk. And you think, well, um, we didn't expect this. And this just goes back to last year. I don't think anybody expected – no one expected Derwin James to be there at 15 overall. They really didn't expect him to be there at 10th overall, but certainly not 15. And you And you're sitting there and – and you, you have this guy that's clearly the best safety in this draft or one of two and ends up being the best safety and in, in one of the best defensive players in football that year. But, I mean, even you don't even need a lot of foresight to see that. And what do you do? You're like, nope, we came in this determined to get us a tackle. We traded down so that we could get the tackle. So we're going to get the tackle. It's just I think that's – I don't think that's the right way to go about a draft. It it's 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 one-sided, it's it's one dimensional. It's it's seeing that you want this guy, and the only thing you're gonna do in any instance is maybe move down a little bit because that's the that's the spot where it makes more sense to get that guy, rather than, oh man, look at this. This guy wasn't supposed to be here, but he's here. We gotta change things up on the fly. And I think that would have been the smart move. You may want Abram, but you take Montez Sweat at twenty-four and you, you think, We got two picks. Um, Josh Jacobs will probably be there. And if he's not, are, um is it the end of the world? Probably not. And I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but it, it's possible that they thought, well, we um we've wanted Jacobs this bad, so bad that supposedly John Gruden kept wanting to trade up to get him. Which I don't like. I said I think it's a bit of an an exaggeration of uh, as to the eagerness of that to happen. Um, and so they were they were basically like, if Jacobs is there at twenty four and we get there, no matter what happens, we're taking this guy. It's like um that. But at twenty seven, had Montez Sweat still been on the board, would they have pulled the trigger on him then, or would they have once again said, no, Abrams, our guy, we're going after him? I, I think that that's the wrong way to do that because. You're also assuming that that Abram would not be there at 35. We don't know. Is it is it that like that uh, much of a a a dire situation that you cannot absolutely cannot afford to miss out on getting Jonathan Abram? If if you could get, we
1: we won't know the answer to those questions for another another two or three years. The, the thing that killed me last year about the Derwin James thing was not necessarily that they missed out on Derwin James. It was the fact that they drafted a guy who might have lasted until the second, late second or, th- or early third round. Uh, a- instead of, of Derwin James, at least we can say for all three of the Raiders draft picks last week that all three of them had been widely expected to go in the first round. These were not, surprises that they went in the first it might have been a surprise that the Raiders personally took them but these were all guys that had been widely mocked in the first round and I will Abram? also say this for Cleveland: I don't know
0: most mock drafts I've seen had Abram in the second round
1: well I saw him in the very early second round or very late first so I'm not 27 is well within the range where I expected him to go I will say that this is about Cleveland Farrell, though. Um, I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, that the reason that I felt a lot of the mock drafts had kind of sucked this year and fallen flat is that Mike Mayock didn't release one for obvious reasons. Uh, had Mike Mayock done his normal big board mock draft that he does every year, people might have felt a little differently about the pick of Cleveland Farrell. Uh, I, I don't that. think they would have seen it, seen it as such a reach. If, if Mike Mayock comes out and he's got Cleveland Farrell in his top five, and whoever else the Raiders' GM was took Leland Farrell at four, no one would make a big stink about that.
0: It's true, I, I, and I'm with you to an extent, because I thought about this as well, and here's where I depart from it. Mayock was not drafting Cleveland Farrell for himself. He was not drafting him for 32 teams. He was not drafting. Him, he was not placing him in an order based on purely his talent he was drafting him specifically for Paul Gunther's defense. So that changes things. So you're assuming and I don't think this would happen that if he were out there still an NFL analyst not picking for a specific team that Cleveland Farrell would have been his number 2 guy on his on in his top 5 prospects at the position. That's a that's a pretty big assumption. You don't know that. You um, he might have thought he might have been right along with everyone else and thought that Josh Allen was the next best pass rusher but that doesn't matter because he's drafting he's just picking purely on talent he's not drafting specifically and there's something he talked about about it's a lot different when you're when you're judging your talent based on what does this team need what is this scheme what is the what what player is right for this scheme and this th- these coaches so i think that's the that's the um, that's where the, that line of thinking doesn't doesn't quite um it's not so cut and dry let's put it that way
1: those mock drafts never are cut and dry because there's so many variables that people can't anticipate and so many trades that the people make that one guy's not going to anticipate what 32 other people are going to do so it, it's kind of just a thing that we enjoy reading but it, it sort of loses its grounding in reality when you are actually there at the draft watching what really happens.
0: No, I mean, that you always, if you're doing mock drafts and you're not factoring in the wild card, which is that teams have different schemes, and you can't simply say, here's the guy at this position, here's the guy who's more talented at that position, then that's the guy that should go to that team um, that is looking for that position, because that's not how it works. The Raiders are not – they're looking for a pass rusher, but they're not looking for a 3-4 outside linebacker as Josh Allen was – is. Sure. They're looking for a big, you know, bruising guy with, you know, let's be completely honest, the kind of character as well that Cleland Farrell Mm -hmm. has. And I don't think any – I think in every mock draft you're looking at was downplaying or not even – they weren't even considering how much of an emphasis the Raiders were going to be placing on character in their draft picks. And, you know, you can't really blame them for that. You can't, you know, they, were, they were trying to play the board with Cleveland Farrell, and I don't blame them for a second. They were trying to play the board knowing that, that hey, in our scheme, for the characteristics that we want in a player, both physical and mental, Cleveland Farrell is the best guy for us but he, we know he's not on that level for everyone else. So, if we can move into the, if we can move down, we can still get him and pick up some picks at the same time. They weren't able to get the this get the get the trade down, but they got the player. So, I mean, I don't really I don't blame him for that for at, at all. On that note. On that note, we move on to that the round two to round two, because we, we, uh, when we did this before we were talking about just the first round. So we haven't covered the second round at all. And it's Trayvon Mullen is a perfect example of this. I think everybody, uh, who's anybody would have said, well, if you need a cornerback, um, and you're sitting there where the Raiders were sitting initially 35 and then 38 and then 40 and greedy Williams is still on the board. You take greedy Williams, but, um, um, according to what they wanted in a, they want in a cornerback, uh, they want the, they, you know, the, they want that length. They want the press man abilities. Um, they went with, they went with Mullen instead. I, I personally wasn't a fan of, of that move. I think that, uh, guard was a, was a need. I think tight end was a need that they could have gone. Irv Smith Jr. Was on the, on the board. They missed out on Noah Fant in the first round because the Broncos traded up and got him. I don't know if they traded up or not, but they got him. The Broncos
1: traded down and got him at twenty.
0: Oh, they traded down, yeah. but they still, yeah, they they got him um, higher than I think a lot of people thought he would. I think they probably got him because they they knew that they knew the Raiders were were probably uh, looking at him as well. But regardless, they still had Irv Smith Jr., who is not much of a, who's no slouch himself. And if you look at them, Irv Smith Jr. and Noah Fant are they're, There's not a lot separating them in terms of talent. But I just those are just a couple of examples. I, I thought that cornerback was not as big of a need as apparently they thought because they picked a couple of them. What are your thoughts on that pick?
1: Uh, I would have liked to see them not trade down and take Cody Ford uh, and, and just basically stick him at guard. Uh, I think he would have been perfectly capable there, and I think he would have made the, the Raiders' offensive line more or less complete. But I do like Trayvon Mullen. I I watched a lot of Clemson games over the last year, and people just did not throw at Trayvon Mullen, which is why he never gave up a touchdown in coverage in his entire college career. And I gave up a total of, I think, around 300 yards uh, for the entire time he was playing in Clemson. You just did not try this guy, and if you did, uh, he would basically make you pay. Uh, So I don't have an issue with the pick. Um, What I do sort of have issue
0: with make very many people pay. He didn't have any interceptions well, season, so.
1: he, <laughs> what I mean was that he did not complete the pass. If you, uh, make you pay his relative term. I mean, you, you were not going to have a lot of success if you went to his side of the field. And, and that's uh, sort of what you want in a guy, is uh, what Nnamdi Asamoah used to give to the Raiders, which was basically shutting off one entire half of the field. This is a no-go zone. Don't even bother looking over here. It's not going to happen. Uh, and so that's what Mullen brings, um, but Cree Williams I think would have been a nice pick, and and uh, he he brings all the measurables that you want, but um, uh, you know if you're if you're going for character, if you're going for that that A plus human being, and not necessarily just an A plus football player, uh, well the you know Mullen is a better bit better fit for the Raiders than than Williams was. Williams fell to the Browns, who. Clearly, don't care about anything like that. <laughs> they're they're quite comfortable with people who have a little bit of an ego, considering they just traded for Odell Beckham Jr. and that's fine. Uh, the Browns on paper are fantastic. He fits in right right in with them, um, and the Raiders got better too. So either one of those, uh, both of those picks are, are, are good in my view. Um, I, I you know they didn't trade up into the third round, which kind of surprised me, um, but they did an awful lot of wheeling and dealing after that.
0: Yeah, well they. My theory has been, because Mike Mayock said after the draft, he, he said plainly that when they got to 35, they had two players on their board that they would have taken They would have taken either one. So they figured, you know, we'll move back a few spots and one of them is bound to be there. Well, when they moved back to 38, both players are still there. So they traded back again. And... When they got to forty, both players were still there. So they just took their—they stopped moving—and they took their guy. I firmly believe that other guy was greedy Williams. That I think, based on what it looks like to me, I think they were kind of set on getting a corner for a couple of reasons—not just because they felt like it was a—it was a need that they would—they'd uh, like to shore it up for long term, but because when they got into the second round, all the best cornerbacks were still there. And I think at, at the top of the second round, a lot of people are like, uh, "We got to partake, even if it, cornerback isn't a great need. We got to partake in this in these cornerbacks before they're gone." Because I don't think anybody expected the likes of Byron Murphy and Greedy Williams and all these guys to still be on the board once you, uh, once you got into the, the the second round. So you saw that run happen. I mean, Byron Murphy was the first one. It was uh, Rakiasin got the was the next pick after that. And then you know, uh, I'm not sure who went between there and the Raiders, but the but the Mullen and then and greedy and like and bang 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 bang, you know, like all these cornerbacks who everybody was shocked was still on the board started coming off the board because it's a matter of value. It's like if you're if nobody partook in in uh, getting these top cornerbacks in the first round, you want to get first round pick value at the top of the second. You go with the, with that position which was untouched and has some pretty good players on it. And I think that's what the Raiders were thinking there when they got Trayvon. I was Mullen very and...
1: surprised. Yeah. I was very surprised when the first round ended and the only corner taken had been Deandre Baker by the giants. Mm, that's uh, right. With the 33rd pick, I would not have been upset if the Raiders had actually traded up to get Byron Murphy. Um, I, I suspect that's one of the trades that Frank Caliendo tried to work out with Steve Kime, the GM of the <laughs> Arizona Cardinals. Uh, that, that was hilarious. Um, but, uh, I, I would have liked to get a really, you know, elite corner, and that's not to say that Trayvon Mullen isn't one. Um, but there were there were four or five really good corners who just hadn't been selected for whatever reason. I've never seen a first round that didn't have a cornerback in it, you know. And and DeAndre Baker is a, is a, is a fine corner, but usually you get three or four or five really mm. good corners who it's get taken in the position. first round, and it just did not happen this year. You got you had a much weaker quarterback class. Uh, in this year's first round, that he had corners, but you had several quarterbacks taken. And it was just puzzling to me what the the priorities of those teams were that you leave though, that many good cornerbacks on the board into the second day.
0: I would bet. I would bet. You know, I I, I include Byron Murphy in that. I I would bet the Raiders would have want. They wanted him too. I, I think he w- he was up there as well. I wouldn't be surprised even if he was ahead of Mullen in their in their eyes because they like. They like that gritty, hard-nosed man press attitude, and Byron Murphy's your guy if that's what you're looking for. He's got all that. The good thing, and you look at you like even if even if you're like myself, and you're like, oh, well, you know I would have preferred like like you too, like uh, the uh, getting that guard or tackle. Um, Who did you say you thought they should get? In?
1: I I I I think they should have drafted Cody Ford over. Yeah, Cody over Ford. Line. That would have been a great down at all.
0: Yeah, that would have been a great pick. There um, would have filled the guard position potentially to move a move to tackle if need be. Uh, I think it would have been a great pick. He was another one of those guys that was was projected as a mid late first round pick who was shockingly still available at thirty five. He'd have been great. But if you, but at least you, you know, I give them some credit for for moving down a couple times and picking up some extra picks because they may have unfortunately, they they weren't able to trade their way into the third round, but they were able to pick at the end, they had four fourth round picks um, at some at some point. I don't think they, yeah, they didn't end up with four um, when all was said and done, but I think at one point they had four and when they, they're moving around to do various things, they uh, they ended up with three at the end of the day, which is not bad. You can get a lot of value in round four, and I think they did that with their first fourth-round pick. I think your favorite pick in this draft, Max Crosby.
1: Yeah, Crosby is a guy who, if you didn't know him, you knew him after the Combine. Uh, You did those lists of the top Combine performers at each drill for each position, and Crosby's name, as you know very well, was all over those lists. I mean, he was a top ten, top five guy in essentially everything he was tested at. Uh, and, and then you go look at his production, and he was massively productive. He was a tackle for loss lost machine, and just because he plays at Eastern Michigan, no one knows who the heck he was, uh, but Mike Mayock certainly knew who he was, uh, and I think he was a fantastic value at four for a guy who who could have even slipped in the bottom of the second round, if not the middle, the middle of the third. Um, I, I think he's a natural left defensive end, which is good, because Sparrow is a natural right defensive end, uh, and I think when Crosby bulks up and gets a little bigger in his core, um, he and Farrell will be booking defensive tackles that will really make uh, Raider Nation excited.
0: Yeah, I like to pick two. I'd seen a lot of mock drafts with him going as early as the second round. And, you know, because there was a group of pass rushers around that second, third round range that, you know, were seemingly interchangeable in a lot of ways. And uh, Crosby was in that group. And past that, once you get past the, you know, the numbers and uh, and other other athletic traits and whatnot, you you move to the to the character. You move to the type of player that the type of person they're going to be, or the type of work ethic you think they're going to have. And that's when Max Crosby really really shines. He has that. uh, He's he's got that motor, and he's got he's got the size to um, he's at 255 pounds now and he's got size to add more and they I, they want him to add more uh, but he's he's got all the intangibles that you like uh like he, like uh i think it was mac who said he he plays like his hair is on fire which is a you know you hear that now and then but you watch max crosby play and you see it you see it on the field you see him playing like his hair is on fire and i was uh, I was uh, impressed with the pick as well. I'm not sure how much of an immediate impact he's going to have. I think he's still um, somewhat raw. He's going to need some developing, not the least of which being his physical uh, development. But uh, he has a, he has a, high, a pretty pretty high ceiling, and I wouldn't be surprised if he and Arden Key are battling for um, that posi- that um, situational pass rusher position the Raiders want.
1: Yeah, I see him taking over, um, taking over that that base defensive end on the four three role. Uh, it, it, you know, at, at least um, next year, uh, if not late on later on this year, I think he and Arden Key should be more or less on the same side rushing together. Um, I think that will be a lot of pressure for opposing offensive lines to handle. And I just I just really love his potential. I mean, I like Farrell's potential as well, but the two of them together are are just gonna be bonkers.
0: Yeah, so I think that was a. I agree with you. That was a that was a pretty good pick. And and move on to the set the next fourth round pick. Probably, uh, probably my I, I guess I would probably say my least favorite pick of this draft is uh, Isaiah Johnson, the cornerback out of Houston. Simply because, first of all, you're you're doubling up at a position that I thought was already deep, um, at a guy who's below average in just about every measurement that you can you can see, and you'd expect more more production more uh, more of a showing from a guy playing in the American American Athletic Conference I give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt considering he's converted wide receiver but you're basically you're, you're you're drafting a guy on pure potential and I know yes this draft is about a lot about potential potential but you're he they like his size and they like his speed both are very impress- impressive impressive 62 44 flat speed that's very impressive That's basically right now he's a special teamer until further notice. That's, that's the way I see him. He's got the, he's got the makeup and the speed to be a special teamer. And we don't know if he's ever going to be anything more, more than that. He hasn't shown that and to get, and to be picking a special teamer in the middle of the fourth round, I think is um, I don't think it's great. They, they were saying, this is one of the areas I think also that they were kind of, they might've been exaggerating saying that you know they called him and said that uh uh we would pick you in the second round of course they didn't and then the the fact that he was still available in the fourth round they got him there i mean if they were going to pick him in the second round they probably would have at least picked him with the first pick in the in the fourth round but <laughs> they didn't they went with max Crosby. so i i have a little bit of difficulty believing they ever had any intention of um making him a second round pick cuz that um, that would have been a huge reach uh, I think it's even a reach here. I don't know what you think.
1: Uh, I certainly think it was. I, I didn't watch a whole lot of, of Houston football last year, and when I did, I was watching Ann Oliver. Uh, but this uh, this is the Al Davis pick of the draft for me. There's, <laughs> yes. there's usually always one. This is exactly the kind of guy that Al would have liked. He's big, he's fast, he's got all the potential in the world. He just doesn't really have the production that you look for. I mean, this is essentially the cornerback version of Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary was a fantastic prospect coming out of high school and went to Michigan and did nothing. And he looks like he should have done something, but he didn't. And I I can understand Isaiah Johnson being a converted wide receiver. Uh, You know, his numbers aren't what you would expect from a top-tier cornerback. I don't think there's any way in the world they would have taken him in the second. That would have been, you know, a colossal, colossal reach. Um, In the fourth, you know, I I would – prefer to take more established prospects with, with a better history of production in the fourth. But if they think this guy is gonna reach his potential, you know, down three years, four years down the road, maybe he we look at him as a steal. Um but for right now I don't I don't care for it much.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not sure there's any way that he could be a, a steal per se. I think that he could probably live up to their um their uh opinion of him. I mean any any draft pick in the mid rounds certainly has that ability. You always draft these guys that you know they that you're taking flyers on them for the most part. They're they're not perfect prospects. There's a reason why they're, they're available in the fourth round. Either they have great production and not great physical, or they have great physical and not great production. And you just hope that they can they can get the other half of that once you once you bring them into the fold. But I'd look at it also in terms of they needed a linebacker. And there were some pretty decent ones still on the board when they made when they made that pick and um, they made all these picks and they just uh, uh drew tranquil as the first one that jumps out and he went with the very next pick that would have been a great pick there um, he was that was a bit surprising that he was still available there mac wilson who i absolutely would not have taken in the in the second round where he was a, where he's would he'd been mocked this whole off season but when you're in the middle in the middle, mid, late fourth round, as the Raiders were. That's about the time you take a chance on Mac Wilson. Um, you know, Voshan Joseph, the guy that they brought in for a workout. I think he was a pretty decent. Uh, he would have been a pretty decent pick around that range. Uh, that so basically, you're. Uh, I just when you look at it in terms of pure need, you're you're doubling up at a position that I think is the deepest on the team, and you're ignoring a position that's still an absolute. Desperation mode, and it has been every single off season. It just it gets so ridiculous saying every single off season. Though they have to be thinking t- um, linebacker now, right? Finally, for once, they got to be thinking linebacker this time, right? Nope. Yet again, nothing. I mean, you, you, they brought in Vontez Burfict and Brandon Marshall, two veteran cast castoffs cast f- on one year deals. That's not exactly addressing the position. To the extent that you'd wish it, it's just they're patches. Every year, it's patches. You're patching the the position with a veteran for one season, and then you'll kick the can down the road to next season instead of actually making an, imbe- an investment in the linebacker position in the draft. And you just didn't see it.
1: One of the undrafted free agents the Raiders actually signed uh, was Tavon Coney, uh, the our, the uh, linebacker from Notre Dame. Uh, and if the Raiders had actually taken him with the pick they still in Isaiah Johnson, I don't know who would have batted an eye at
0: Oh, yeah, I know. I thought about this, and you're getting kind of ahead of us. I mean, we're going to talk about the undrafted free agents. But that's, I mean, that goes back to you properly working the draft. I know nobody would have batted an eye had you taken Tavon Coney in round four in the middle of it. That's a ra- right about where I think most had him projected as far as the range of things. But But you, I don't know, I, I get what you're saying and but i'm a firm believer that you do not and you cannot make up for your draft with your undrafted free agents because there's you could have had both you know what i mean you could have had you could have had um the players you drafted and then add on the undrafted free agents as opposed to you don't have to choose one or the other and and if you're looking at this draft and you're you're in the I actually said that about the seventh round pick because I will say that about seventh round picks because seventh round picks are basically undrafted free agents that people just, that the guys just wanted to make sure they, they didn't have to you know fight with other teams to sign. That's what you're looking at. So I will say that I will relent on that point when you're talking about a guy like Tavon Coney in that, uh, I think I might've even said so that once you get to that seventh round, um, it's not that important who you get. Um, you could either take a crazy flyer like the Raiders did this year, or you could take a guy that was originally projected to go really high. Um, like Vidal Alexander, who was in like if you looked in draft guys that year, he was projected as a as a first or second round pick, and somehow he's available in the seventh round. Just like, well, I mean, all those people that thought he didn't deserve to be picked before this might be wrong he clearly has shown some talent uh, so we'll take a chance on him then and that's when you do stuff like that and 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 you can interchange those but when you're looking at the fourth round and you do your research enough that 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 you're not paying attention to the mock drafts or anything like that you're paying attention to your own boards and if you think that that coney's going to be there later and you take him um, later being surprised that he's still there uh, or where you think he should go then then you've really then you've really nailed it. But there's room for both arguments for sure because uh, they needed a linebacker. Uh, we'll see if Coney can be um, can be that great undrafted free agent. But we'll talk about that once we get finished talking about the actual draft. Next up is the uh, third, fourth-round pick, and they got Foster Moreau. Now, um, my only criticism here is, it goes back to what I was saying when we were talking about the second-round pick that I think – that's when they should have gone after tight end because there's such a glaring need. This idea that, that Darren Waller's the guy and they're going to the, um, put it all on him, give him this great opportunity, I think is just ill-advised. You don't, you don't go into it. He might be great. He showed a lot late last season, but to, to put all your eggs in that basket seems unwise to me. You bring in a, an, another guy and, to compete for that starting spot, and I don't think Moreau is that guy. I think he's uh, I think he's a good pick at this spot, but he's mainly a blocking tight end who's shown some flashes. I've basically said that he is Luke Wilson, and they already have that guy. So that's my thought on the pick. What are yours?
1: Well, LSU did not have the best uh, passing offense in the nation last year, and, and basically they haven't uh, since Jamarcus Russell was there. So I'm not surprised that an LSU tight end and a blocking tight end at that didn't put up massive reception numbers or touchdown numbers. Um, so Foster Moreau did basically what he was asked to at LSU, uh, and I think he'll be a perfectly fine player. I don't think he's a re- replacement for Jerry Cook by any means. I think he's a piece of the puzzle, uh, and I think the fourth round is a, is a good place to get a guy like that. Um, I think he's a good player. I think he's a fine player. I just I don't think he is what the Raiders are accustomed to having at the tight end position. Um, but I, I look at what the Vikings did. They took Irv Smith Jr. So what are they going to do with Kyle Rudolph? Uh, I would suspect they try to tra- trade him away. And if I was the Raiders, I would be in on that.
0: Well, that's not necessarily the case. You, if you want to look at successful teams, nobody is more successful than the Patriots, obviously, and they always, always, always have two good tight ends in their offense. Not Well, not least of which because Gronk get, got hurt quite a bit. But, uh, but they always have two good tight ends, and they always use them to great success. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Vikings follow that blueprint and they keep both their good tight ends, and then they have both weapons on the field at the same time. Guys that, uh, well, Rudolph can certainly block. I'm not really sure the level of blocking ability Irv Smith Jr. Um, can put up at the at the NFL level, but uh, you leave them on the field together, and you never know who's gonna gonna be get open and make you pay for doing so. I'm a, I'm I'm big on the idea of two tight ends. In fact, when um, we were doing the draft lead up before we even got to free agency, and we were unsure whether Jared Cook was going to come back, uh, I was saying that even if they did bring Jared Cook back, somebody like T.J. Hawkinson would have been a great signing to, uh, to compliment him because they compliment each other really well. Keeping Jared Cook and drafting Foster Moreau would have been a great couple of moves to make. Had they still had Jared Cook and you bring in Foster Moreau, he compliments him fabulously. He has, he's a good blocker, and he offers a little something in, in a, as a receiver, perhaps more than you think he would. Especially when you're when the defenses are paying so much attention to Jared Jared Cook that allows Moreau to get open. Now, can Darren Waller be that guy? It's certainly possible. It's possible, but um, you don't uh, you don't want to count on that. Like you want to go into it like with no other choice. And basically, that's what the Raiders are doing at this point. Well, speaking of uh, of uh, adding to your offensive arsenal and your at a position that you already bulked up. I guess they didn't already bulk up the tight end position, but they did already bulk up the wide receiver position, but they, they still needed a slot receiver and they get their guy in round five with Hunter Renfro. I, he kind of flew under the radar for me, I think, because I was looking at a little bit uh, when I was looking into like possibility of slot uh, receivers, I was looking a little flashier guys like Andy Isabella and uh, AJ Brown, who oh my god, that would have been amazing, but you know, uh, they didn't uh, they didn't go that direction. But getting Renfro and is pretty pretty solid pick in the fifth round, uh, a very solid pick in the, in the fifth round. From what I can tell, he brings a lot of uh, he's got for having the tiniest hands of any receiver I've seen. He's got the most dependable hands of just about any receiver in football, uh, and he and he's a yeah, red zone like nightmare for, for defenses. I, I really like this pick in the fifth.
1: Yeah, I, I love the pick. Uh, if not for any other reason then it keeps Hunter Renfro away from New England, because I did not want to see <laughs> that kid in a Patriots uniform for the next 10 years. That would have been an absolute nightmare. Uh, but I, as I said earlier, I watched a lot of Clemson games over the last couple of years. And Hunter Renfro is as dependable as it gets. I mean, people call Jason Witten third and Witten for his ability to get open on third down and make those clutch third down conversion plays. Well, Hunter Renfro was exactly that type of guy. Uh, he has a, a penchant for getting open. He just has a knack uh, for you know, getting, getting away from whoever is trying to cover him because it's usually a linebacker or a safety who have no business covering this kid. And, and he just eats them for lunch. Uh, he he's an absolute playmaker. And I think he's going to be a huge safety valve for Derek Carr. This is my second favorite pick in the draft after Max Crosby. Uh, I just absolutely love it. Yeah.
0: I, I think we're on the same page as far as like which picks we like. I would probably, I might give, I might give Renfro the edge over, as far, over Crosby as far as favorite picks, but it's a slight edge and it might have more to do with the fact that they got him around later. They are the best, uh, Like value picks in this draft, I've I've long liked Cleveland Farrell as a as a prospect, but uh, I mean you're supposed to get a guy you really like at fourth overall. You're not necessarily expecting to get guys you really like in the fourth and and the fifth round, and I think they they did well with those guys. And then that last one, the uh, the stump the truck pick, and I firmly believe the only reason that Quinton Bell was the Raiders pick at two thirty was so that uh, and. Mike Miak just basically admitted that, uh, admitted that the uh, he made the pick of Quentin Bell. Well, he certainly was communicating back and forth with the NFL Network guys, um, having a good laugh at taking a player none of them had ever heard of at a Prairie, Prairie View A&M. And you watch his film, and he's about as undisciplined a pass rusher as you can imagine. He just just runs around the edge. He's got no technique. He's just just like, ah, I'll just run at the quarterback. And and he's certainly got the body for it. He's developed the body for it. Um, but there's no telling what this guy is going to be at all. I Mayock claimed that despite the fact that he thinks they were the only team at this guy's pro day, that there were going to be several teams looking to sign him as soon as the draft ended. So they felt like they had to get him. In the seventh round, I'm I'm not so sure about that, and I'm not sure it really matters because it goes back to what you said about Tavon Coney. Had they picked Tavon Coney here, that would have been like a wow, what a great pick in the seventh round. Um, And they got him as an undrafted free agent, so all's well that ends well, I guess.
1: Yeah, for what I'm hoping from Bell is to be a core special teamer. He certainly has the build and the size for it to be a gunner, uh, like what we used to have in Taiwan Jones. If he could become that guy, uh, then he'd be a huge asset for the Raiders. And frankly, anything else on top of that, as far as pass rust goes, is gravy.
0: A gunner, I don't know. He's a little bit big for, a little bit. He and they expect him to get even bigger. He's probably a little bit too much, too big to be a gunner. Usually, you you wanna get like a a safety or, or somebody who's faster who can get down the field. As they uh, get to get that flyer role, I don't think he's quite. He's that quite what they have in in store for him? But certainly, uh, potentially, uh, produce on special teams. It's uh, it's just it was a good laugh. It was uh, it was all in fun that they they picked a guy that nobody nobody knew who it was and uh, and who knows he had like seven and a half sacks in the last five games or something at uh, Prairie View A and M. So maybe he he really started to put it together at the end there. But like I said, whether the tape I've seen. Watching, you know, the times he's got in the backfield, he's just running with his hands flailing. It's it's like, what are you doing? But it was working. So maybe add a little technique to that uh, bat out of hell, coming around the edge there, and uh, you might have something. I really know. All right, so after the draft, since we've already touched on one of their undrafted free agents, as if he's a future Pro Bowler or something, um Tavon Coney obviously leads out the undrafted free agent class for the Raiders this year but there was more than him there were some other guys as well anybody stand out to you
1: well Alec Ingold from Wisconsin the fullback is the first guy that was a record reported to be signing as a free agent with the Raiders uh and anytime you can get a member of the Wisconsin running game uh whether that be a blocker or an actual runner uh, you, you know, you have a quality player there. So I know the Raiders still have Keith Smith on their roster. So I don't necessarily expect Ingold to make the the final active roster for the Raiders. Um, but but I think he can work his way into a role with the team for sure.
0: I, I mean, yeah, that's that's what most people have uh, been talking about is Ingold. Um... It just depends on... They're only going to keep one fullback, so it kind of depends on if they if they still have a high opinion of Keith Smith as the fullback. Uh, there were a couple times earlier in the season where they tried to use him in short yardage, and, and he, it didn't work out. So that that could speak of whether they their opinion of Keith Smith isn't the same as it once was. But Ingold would have to be able to provide what smith can't and a lot of that is special teams keith smith is great on special teams uh, so he's not just a fullback he he provides that so they brought in a lot of fullbacks and 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 every year it seems like they're uh there's a guy they brought in last year that was like instantly people were talking about how like oh man he's a beast and he was literally cut the next day like <laughs> it was they brought him in for a rookie minicamp and is like, uh, I remember tweeting out something. I can't remember what the guy's name was, but tweeting out like that he was the most fullback looking guy you'll ever see in your life. And he absolutely was. And then he was gone. And I wasn't saying that to suggest that he was, uh, wasn't, was a sure better of any kind to be the fullback. He just certainly looked the part. There was no doubt. So, uh, the, there's a lot of factors that go in this. They also have Ryan Yurecek, who they had last off season, and they brought him back this off season. So those are your fullbacks at the moment. Um, if you know, granted the UDFA's aren't official yet, but they're they've all been most of them have been confirmed. So is that the only guy that uh, the Coney and Ingold guy? Those are the only two that? Uh, no,
1: there are actually uh-huh. uh, there are actually a few more uh, that I really am excited about. Lester Cotton senior. Uh, as a guard from the Alabama Crimson Tide, which has surprised no one that uh, Mike Mank is taking in another guy from the uh, college football championship game last year. His fifth. Um, Yeah, but Cotton is a a pretty darn good guard, and I would not be shocked at all if he did have a future with this team considering the need that they have at the guard position. Um, Another guy I really like is Keelan Doss, and he was a guy I had mocked um, for them in the late rounds. I thought if he had been a, an actual draft pick of the team, that would have surprised and shocked nobody, and I think it would have been a wise pick. Um, Keelan Doss is an excellent wide receiver, um, and if he makes the team over a guy like Keon Hatcher, um, I think he, he could be an asset for the team. Um, another guy who, who interests me is Vince Papali Jr., um, the son of the great Vince Papali, who had a, basically a walk on tryout with the Eagles back in the day. Uh, and this is his son, a wide receiver out of Delaware. Well, uh, got
0: to a, be to be clear, got a, uh,
1: he's got an invite.
0: He's got an invite. Exactly. He's not. He hasn't been signed, but he does have an invite, and of course, that's going to be interesting. I mean, him and like Rano Ollie, the guy who went to last, who was uh, from Last Chance U, they're both um, in there on tryout bases. They're gonna. They're definitely going to intrigue everyone because of their. They're known. They're known guys for their, for other reasons. For, for one, for his dad, and the other because he was on, you know, on that show. So that's. Those are some interesting ones for sure. But I'm, I'm with you on the uh, Keelan Doss thing. A lot of people thought he was going to be picked. He doesn't have a lot of college production, but uh, he certainly has all the physical gifts and everything. And he played on the – he was on the North squad in the Senior Bowl. He was at the Raiders local pro day. Uh, and uh, so a lot of people think that he could, he could make a run at one of those – one of the last receiver spots because they may have brought in a couple of guys to, at the top of the – you know, they brought in, of course, Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams, and then, uh, of course, they drafted Hunter Renfro, and they have Ryan Grant they brought in. But I would say, outside of those four guys, can you see anybody who's, like, a sure, in any way, a sure bet to, to be a cut above the rest? I don't.
1: Well, it depends on J.J. Nelson's hands, because we don't have any questions about his speed, but we certainly do about his catching ability.
0: I, that's the thing. Is I don't. That's that's just it. Is I don't think that he's um, even in the uh, in the probably to make this team. I could. De- I definitely see uh, an upstart player coming and taking taking that ros- spot, roster spot. I, I I think it'd be a real hard sell for him to make this team. He's gonna he's gonna have a tough job, especially when you consider he's getting paid uh, more. Than these young guys, these young hopefuls. i probably about twice. He's getting paid, I think, about a million dollars, which is not a lot. But when you're when you're talking about these these young guys at Keelan Doss making a, a rookie minimum, he's he's making about twice as much as them. And if you, if if you're like, well, they they're on kind of even like even ground as far as talent is concerned, you're going to take the cheaper guy in, in in more times than not, and. You know, the each year there's all there seems to be an undrafted receiver that makes some noise. Last year it was, uh, I mean, Said Blacknall started, came out of nowhere, started impressing the staff. Uh, Keon Hatcher, he impressed them quite a bit. He actually had them. He actually made the roster over Martavis um, Bryant. Uh, at that, if you'll recall, at the first part of the season, so yeah, there's that was the famous these...
1: John Gruden. They're going to push me out of the uh, the airplane if I don't put this guy <laughs> on the roster. Yes,
0: exactly. And then a week later, he was cut for Martavis Bryant because it's just like that's an example of like uh, you know it's all fun and games and but in the end, this is a little bit of an exaggeration. It's not. It's not. Uh, you, you. The only reason they kept him is because they knew that they. They were not going to sign Martavis Bryant. They're not. They were not. He was not going to make the roster because they knew that suspension was coming, and they wanted him on a non-guaranteed contract. So they they waived him. Nobody was going to pick him up because why would they pick up a receiver they knew was going to be um, going to be suspended? And after week one, week one, they bring him back and basically paying him game to game until he's gone. And so that's all that was. That was just like you're our placeholder until Martavis Bryant until we, we bring him back in. And uh, it's a little unfortunate because I think Keon Hatcher is more talented than than just being used that way. But uh, they certainly like him enough to. Uh, he's back with the team, and um, but he's going to have a battle. You know, he's got another upstart here, and Keeland Doss. Well, like I guess it doesn't have the production, but he certainly has the the athletic gifts. I mean, he reminds me a lot of, in this instance, of Rod Streeter. Rod Streeter was played in an offense in college that didn't he I think he had like 18 catches or some some nonsense and then he came and he ended up eventually becoming a starter for the Raiders and putting together a decent little uh career he he had definitely had all the physical talents It just uh sometimes you're not given as much of an opportunity in college a lot of the other prospects are are like a like a who I, I I'm not really uh some of you may have may have heard of but they whether they can actually do anything i think i, I think think i have a feeling that um one of these offensive linemen who's like a tackle like tyler Romer or something who's a tackle and I mean they um maybe they switch him to guard and they get the best out of him something along those lines
1: yeah rookie camp is going to be really interesting this year they got a really good crop of kids uh, and i'm excited to see what they can bring to the table
0: I wish they would stop waiting so long to make these announcements on the, uh, which undrafted free agents. I mean, I know we may have confirmed a lot of them uh, of the signings, but it just would be nice to get some official word a little sooner. I mean, a lot of teams are, a lot of teams are making the announcement the same day, or they're at least announcing a few of them the same day. Uh, they're they, they always kind of take their sweet time on announcing these, but uh, we got a pretty good idea of who's in house at the moment, but this week after, you know, aside from the undrafted free agent frenzy, as it ends up being, uh, Raiders got a bit of bad news in, uh, Isaiah Crowell, you know, tearing his Achilles in practice, that news comes out in the morning and I put together the list of the five free agents that could replace him. And literally there's 12 minutes. After that article published, the report comes out that they'd re signed Doug Martin, who was among the five players, mind you. That imagine I said, if he hadn't been. If he hadn't been, that would have been egg on my face. But there's no way he, wa- way he wasn't going to be. He's the one who makes the most sense. He might not be the um, the one that that you get the most excited about. I mean, you'd be the most excited about seeing Marshawn Lynch decide oh, maybe I will play another season. Uh, which we've never gotten any official word that he won't. We just have reports that he's not expected to come back next year. So until we, we hear from him or someone else with an official capacity, I'm not going to rule it out. Um, and then, you know, like a Ajayi, who uh, who's, who was injured last season, but he's very talented. would be a great addition to any team. And he's going to sign on with somebody. Um, and, but Doug Martin may not be the most exciting, but he's the one that makes the most sense. He averaged four and a half uh, four point six yards per carry last season. He knows the offense. He can just come right in, and that's what they did. Same day, same day as they as they as they uh, they probably learned the news about Crowell like last night or something, and they um bring Doug Martin right back in. Like he was just waiting right in there, waiting there for the Raiders to call. Come on back.
1: Yeah, he was pretty solid last year for the Raiders uh, after Marshawn Lynch went down. He, he had games that were better than others, but when he was good, he was pretty darn good. So I'm excited to have him back. But, man, if, if this makes the Josh Jacobs pick look really, really prescient, um, because if there's one position in the football field where you could say a rookie can come in and do this job, and he can do this job at a really good level, um, it's running back. We saw that last year with Saquon Barkley started immediately and was rookie of the year and was immediately in the top 10 best running backs in the NFL. And and I don't see any reason Josh Jacobs can't come in uh, with his explosiveness his hard nose running and his ability in pass protection. He's an excellent blocker. There's no reason he can't come in and and, and do excellently right away.
0: Yeah, well, there's, but there was no way they were just going to be like, okay, you're our guy. And then sit, stand pat with Isaiah Crowell gone. They, uh, they brought Crowell in to be not only draft insurance, but to be that, you know, the other part of that two headed backfield, they weren't going to be um, dropping all this in, in Jacob's lap right off the bat. So there was no way that when when a Crowell went down that they weren't instantly going to be looking to bring somebody else in. I see some people saying, I think we're good. we got Chris Warren the third Jalen Rashard. And it was like, yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. Why would you why would you root for the team not to protect their own interests uh, and make sure that they have all the talent available right now? I mean, it could end up being at the end of, when all said and done, um, maybe Chris Warren is um, is everything he showed himself to be in the preseason last year? Maybe Jalen Richard can um, step in and be that change of pace back. Um, he wasn't in Gruden's offense last season. He was a receiver out of the backfield more than anything. But uh, why would you, why would you not want to bring as much talent and have as much talent here as possible to make sure that that you uh, that you're protected, that you have two good backs in the backfield. Um, that you can you know so you can keep them both fresh both guys like um like you know Doug Martin he can be an every down back he has been in his career Isaiah Crowell can um I would say he's better off as a number two back as a as part of a two-headed uh, backfield and that's the reason why he was here and now you you know you bring Doug Martin in there and you don't miss a beat and I I think it was a I think it worked out pretty well that way. It's it's weird how the Raiders were one of the only teams out there that actually had it seemed for a while there they had two backs that weren't going to be playing for anybody else but they could just sit back and say all right well if he needs you we'll call you know you know like Marshawn Lynch and Doug Martin who were just basically you know Oakland guys just waiting to get that phone call and Doug Martin got that phone call.
1: Well, despite the loss of Crowell, which I think. It- is is pretty devastating because I think he was going to have a pretty good year for the Raiders um, this season. Uh, I think the Raiders are vastly better today uh, than they were two or three weeks ago. Uh, I think the improvements they've made to this team uh, are just astronomical, and and I think it's going to be a very different squad this year than what we saw last year. Um, And I'm very excited to see what Gruden and Gunther can do with them.
0: I'm I'm definitely – I think you're. I'm, I'm with you for sure that they're a better team, mainly because they had zero pass rush zero rush from the edge and so um anything added to that is going to be an improvement and they they made it an emphasis making Cleveland Farrell the top pick and getting max crosby later on and bringing in benson mayow let's not uh let's not discount what he brings to the table he's a somewhat proven pass rusher he you know, bringing him back when you know they had he basically broke out with the raiders initially when when they signed him off of a uh, off of waivers from the from the the Seahawks they liked him there but he was just basically kind of the odd man out but the the Raiders saw talent they brought him in and he he looked pretty good and he's carved himself out a nice little career and now he's back so I think he's he's a I think he's in line to be the starter across from Farrell so they've certainly upgraded that absolutely desperately needed position in the draft uh, getting the, their slot receiver, they needed to go with the two big free agent slash trade uh, receivers they brought in this off season. I think was big. Um, getting that safety, I think was was good. I'm I'm not sure. A lot of people think that he's going to replace Carl Joseph. Like the everybody just kind of assumes that's what's going to happen. That Jonathan Abram is uh, going to replace Carl Joseph. I'm not so sure about that. Um, I've heard you say that you think he's, uh, and we talked about this in the previous podcast that he's got similar skill sets, Uh, although I think Carl Josephson's a much better, much better in coverage, uh, deep coverage as a free safety type. Then uh, I think, I don't think that's in Jonathan Abrams game. And I think that's where they, that's where they separate in that. So I don't think it's a given. It's certainly possible if they get some kind of great deal that they trade, they try to trade Carl Joseph. They talked about it last year, but I could easily see them both taking the field together as well. Um, either way, adding some talent to that safety group was necessary. So that was an upgrade there. Um, what else? I mean, obviously the running back position where they, for a while there, didn't even have a starter. So now they have Doug Martin back and they got Jacobs in there. So that position is is done. I, I think really what we talk about now is the positions that needed to be filled, needed an upgrade, and they weren't. I mean, what positions uh, do you think were neglected when they shouldn't have been? I think,
1: well, the glaring ones, I guess, are middle linebacker and guard. Um, They didn't address those at all during the draft. They certainly did with undrafted free agents. But, you know, who knows if if any of those guys are going to actually make the final roster or make any sort of impact at all. I suspect a couple of them could, um, but I'm not going to go on a limb and say they will.
0: Yeah, they they – Definitely, a guard and linebacker. I also mentioned before, tight end. I think they just didn't give that as much um, attention as yeah. And Jared Cook is a big loss. That's they they can they can tout Darren Waller's skills, but and he he does look like he's a talent. But let's not forget, five months ago he was on the Ravens practice squad. They plucked him off a practice squad, and you don't do that. Play him for three games and then say, here you go, kid you're the starter um, lead us to, you know, give us what Jared, Jared Cook gave us. that's uh, just, I don't know. It's just doesn't seem wise. And and there wasn't a lot out there in free agency for tight ends, but they had, as you know, some good tight ends near the top of this draft and they had a shot at one of them and they didn't take it. So that's, those are the, yeah, I think those are definitely the positions that, uh, that were neglected. You have a couple of patches at in, in the linebacker position um, that can maybe hold you over, but a long-term answer was needed. You got um, Denzel good at guard who just like Waller played pretty well in a few games late in the season, uh, which doesn't seem like it should be enough to say um, here's the keys and go out there and run the engine of this of this offensive line to expect that he had some good some decent games in Indianapolis it's not that's not downplay that. That he should probably never should have been waived in Indianapolis, and he showed himself to be fairly talented there. Uh, but competition is always good, and they don't have a lot of it on that interior line uh, or that hell for the, the tackle position, for that matter. I mean, they have they have Brandon Parker and David Sharp, two uh, former mid round picks of the team uh, at the tackle position, but um, Sharp has never never done anything. He's kind of bounced around a little bit, and they brought him back. And, and Parker, you don't know what you have in him. Competition and depth on that offensive line was would have been a good thing, and they ignored it in the draft completely, which just shocked me.
1: Yeah, it shocked me too. I thought that should have been a point of emphasis, but they went in other directions, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily disagree with any other picks. Uh, maybe the Isaiah, Isaiah Johnson pick mm-hmm. I would have umbrage with, but I like the guys they got. I just wish they would have had... More picks to address uh, the the glaring holes on this team, and Mayock did a good job trading down, trading down, trading down. But he traded up for, for Hunter Renfro, which I thought was great. But but when you do that, you take away opportunities to get other players.
0: Yeah, I think at that point in the draft, it's uh it's better. At least it's not like last year where they traded up in the third to get Brandon Parker, a, a move that always seemed like a like a huge head scratcher. It was like the I mean, where does trade and pick? Uh, I can recall seeing in recent memory. Like I, I just don't see teams fighting over themselves to get a small school tackle who struggled against uh, a, a top tier talent. The only time he faced them, and there being there was a lot of other talent on the board, they could have waited and they either gotten one of them or waited and see if Brandon Parker was going to be there. When you're talking about trading up in the fifth round, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, they gave up. They just kind of traded up and gave up a, one of their seventh-round picks, um, and I think really where the where the problem ended up is start right from the start. When we talked about they wanted to trade down from that, you know, from that fourth overall pick, and that's where they really would have gotten had they had Quinn and Williams been on the board, had, they would have gotten some pretty good draft capital to move down and, and still get their guy. And then get some. They would have got. They probably would have gotten a uh, second round pick. Might have moved back into that third round, uh, and they could have addressed it there for sure. Um, Or they could have addressed it in the second round, and then you know addressed some other stuff. I I, we mentioned Isaiah Johnson being kind of a a strange pick simply because uh, they doubled up at a position that they had that was really deep, and they could have addressed another position instead. But even then, you're talking about you're know, talking about late in the late in the fourth round I mean, when all the really all the talent that you think has a real shot at coming in and starting early on contributing making a large impact right away is has already passed so that happens on the first two days of the draft when you're in the third day of the draft you're you're uh, you're kind of you're close to missing that boat uh, on those um at those positions you really need and those players that are going to come in and and make an instant impact. That's why I think one of the reasons why Renfro is such a a good pick, because I think he's one of those rare late round picks that I think can come in and make a large impact right now. All right. So uh, the next step for the Raiders is Friday. They have their rookie mini camp. We'll find out who the UDFA's are before that happens. And and that's a three-day camp after which, they're going to make some more moves. They're they're going to probably sign some of their tryout players, and when they do that, because they're going to be right at ninety players, um, based on what I'm seeing here, that they released like five guys, um, some roster fringe guys they released to make room for the undrafted free agent class, and after they have their their rookie mini camp, they're probably going to sign you know maybe three tryout players, and therefore some other guys are going to get uh, shop lopped off. The 90-man roster to make room for them, so the 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 um, transactions will continue into early next week. After the uh, probably, I think uh, Sunday is the last day of the rookie mini camp, so we should as early as Sunday evening we should be seeing some uh, some of these. See if any of these tryout players will make it as well. And next thing you know, uh, it's going to be uh, I think it's about a week and a half later. They're going to start OTAs, and that's we we'll get a really good look at what the the how they plan on lining up because one big question that we've had is where the tackles are going to line up where uh trent brown and colton miller which sides they're going to be on gabe jackson and denzel good which sides they're going to be on and that'll all be answered come the otas in late may as it were okay well uh thanks as always to tyler smith for uh joining me in the on the Silver and Black podcast and thank all of you for for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Hope you hope you enjoyed the listen and we'll see you again next time on the Silver and Black podcast.